This is Sacrilegious with your host, Gary Latterman. We are back again, and uh, it's great to be back. I am ecstatic to have my guest with me today, someone I, I am looking forward to having a conversation with. Um, Rick Strassman is here, and as I said, I'm looking forward to hearing from him. He is a renowned researcher in psychedelics, and more generally in psychiatry and psychopharmacology. His education spans uh, from Pomona College uh, to Stanford University to Albert Einstein College of Medicine, where Rick got his MD in psychiatry. Spent some some time uh, researching and I assume teaching in uh, some of the campuses at the uh, in the UC system, and also practice psychiatry, and uh, then shifted out to the University of New Mexico School of Medicine, and it's in this location where uh, Rick really began to explore uh, DMT, particularly what research he's known for, um, and it was during that research that he uh, wrote a very famous book called DMT, The Spirit Molecule. His uh, latest book that's just out is called uh, The Psychedelic Handbook. So um, again, very pleased to have you uh, here with us, Rick. Well, thanks, Gary. Cool. Um, uh, you've come a long way and uh, from Van Nuys. And I have to note, if, if I, I can start with this, that we're both from Van Nuys. I grew up in Van Nuys. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> yeah. And was there for a while. I went to UC Santa Barbara to get my PhD before heading out to, uh, to Atlanta. But um, Where did you go to high school? Well, I went to Birmingham. Oh, really? Yeah. Our cross-town rivals. Right. I think I saw that you were at Grant. Yeah, I was at Grant. Yeah, yeah. When did you graduate? Uh, Nineteen eighty. Oh, so I was okay. a little behind yeah. you. Sometime after I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, how? What? How did you get from Pomona to uh, DMT? You know, I mean, I may be a long story, but uh, it just seems like uh, again, you you are a pioneer ahead of. Uh, the curve in terms of psychedelic research and um, mm-hmm. the work you've produced is so is so critical and, and important. But you know, how how did you end up there, growing up in the valley? Yeah, well, ostensibly the beginning took place at Pomona College. One evening, I think it was November one year. I think uh, 1970, probably. My resident advisor came by, asked me if I'd ever gotten stoned, and I hadn't. <laughs> um, I was at, you know, staying in a freshman dormitory. Yeah, and I smoked, you know, some hash, and it was a completely psychedelic experience. There were purple clouds coming out of the speakers. Uh, the floor gave way, and my roommate and I, who were sitting on a small carpet at the time, started flying over Claremont, and we, uh, you know, shared a hallucination of the beach and the town, the streets. Yeah, and uh, I started off as a, um, as a chemistry major. I'm at Pomona. And uh, I kind of put you know, two and two together and thought, it's you know, chemistry that just was responsible for this change in consciousness. Um, so that you know, got me interested in you know, the chemistry of you know, consciousness, as it were. 
Yeah, and it's I was you know taking a lot of psychedelics back then at Pomona. You know, decided I you know needed to uh, you know go to a larger university and one that was more research oriented, and you know learn meditation. You know, take a break. Uh, you know, from psychedelics. Um, so I. You know, transferred to Stanford and began, you know, thinking, you know, like a Stanford student. In other words, if you could, you know, muster an argument for, you know, doing research or, you know, proposing a theory, you know, go ahead and do it. And so I started to take, uh, you know, classes in sleep and dreams, you know, consciousness, uh, Indian Buddhism, psychopharmacology, neuroscience, you know, kind of classes, you know, hormones and behavior, you know, very cutting edge uh, kind of uh, undergraduate classes. You know, for my child psychology uh, you know, class, um, I taught a you know, child to meditate. Um, I had just learned uh, um, transcendental meditation at the time and was keen on, you know, kind of, you know, studying it. Uh, you know, could you teach it to kids? Uh, and if so, would there be any difference? You know, so I was interested in studying psychedelics, but this was, you know, 1972, just a couple of years after the passage of the Controlled Substances Act. So um, I had to keep, you know, my interest in studying psychedelics, you know, mostly to myself back then. But still, I, um, I wasn't you know, prepared for the rigors uh, and the intense, you know, focus required, you know, to be a medical student. Um, and I dropped out after getting depressed, actually, ended up at a Zen monastery where my depression, you know, cleared and I had started to, you know, uh, become, you know, grounded in, you know, Zen study and practice. I got through medical school, you know, decided if, you know, there ever would be the possibility of studying psychedelics that would occur within psychiatry, you know. So, uh, you know, there were a number of other reasons that I I chose uh, to specialize in psychiatry, but one of them was the prospect of being able to study psychedelics. So, um, I went to UC Davis, you know, became a you know good clinical psychiatrist. Uh, spent a year up in Alaska in you know, community mental health, you know, decided, you know, to return to academics, you know, once the pineal gland uh, was starting to, you know, pique the interest of, you know, clinical psychiatry research, you know, because I was interested in, you know, the pineal gland as a potential spiritual organ, you know, like, you know, the source of spiritual experience in the brain. And, you know, melatonin and winter depression and, you know, the pineal gland, you know, were just becoming a, you know, topic of study in, you know, the early 80s. You know, so um, I returned to academics, spent a year in La Jolla doing a, a you know, clinical psychopharmacology you know, fellowship. You know, then a couple of years later, moved out to Albuquerque on, you know, more, you know, training funds, you know, performed the melatonin study, which, uh, you know, demonstrated only a you know, sedating effect of melatonin. You know, there wasn't, you know, that much, you know, known about, you know, the human effects of melatonin back then. You know, there was some evidence it was, you know, psychedelic. You know, but uh, the study that we did was quite exhaustive. And, 
it you know turns out you know that melatonin was only sedating. You know by then um, I learned about DMT. I uh, spent a you know, couple of years you know changing you know gears and uh, you know working on getting the permits um, and funding uh, you know for the DMT study, which you know we began in 1990. And I suppose the rest is history. Uh, yeah, well, um, it's very well-known history. This is all uh, incredibly fascinating. And my question, which shouldn't be surprising, you know, coming from someone in religious studies is, I mean, early on, did you tie this into spirituality? Or was that like in retrospect as, you're, as you went on in your, in your research? Or, or was this something... Again, maybe you had to kind of uh, keep that on the on the down low in terms of uh, your interactions with some of your your scientific colleagues. Yeah, well, you know, I was interested in you know, the biology of spiritual experience um, as much as anything. In my you know my early studies of meditation and of Buddhism, I was struck by the overlap in descriptions of the you know, phenomenology. Of you know both you know the meditative state resulting from particular practices, uh, especially within Mahayana Buddhism, and you know the and the you know Tibetan and uh, you know Tantra traditions, you know with those of uh, you know full blown psychedelic experience. So I you know thought that there must be some common biological denominator you know, mediating you know, the similarity between the two syndromes. You know, you know, perhaps a, you know, part of the brain which was being activated either through psychedelics or, you know, through meditation or the release of, you know, certain hormones in the brain, you know, mediating, you know, the overlap in, you know, descriptions. You know, so ultimately, um, I was interested in, you know, the biology of spirituality yeah, but also, I was interested in you know, studying psychedelics. You know, what are they? You know, how do they work? You know, what are they good for? You know, what are their intrinsic properties? You know, so with respect to the studies that I did, you know, they were you know fairly straightforward. Uh, you know, human psychopharmacology studies. Uh, you know, give a number of doses of drug. You know, characterize biological and uh, you know, psychological effects, and you know, publish. Uh, you know, once you've analyzed, you know, the, your data. You know, my underlying, uh, or you know, one of the underlying, uh, you know, questions, you know, had to do with spirituality. You know, so I suppose the question, if you can narrow it down, uh, I'm involved. You know, whether you know psychedelics were inherently spiritual. In other words, if you didn't coach people, if you didn't, you know, suggest certain responses, if you just, you know, gave enough, you know, DMT, you know, would it induce spiritual experiences in and of itself? We were only studying normal volunteers, and these were volunteers with, you know, previous experience, uh, you know, taking psychedelics. Uh, you know, most of them were um, involved with some kind of meditation practice. And you know, because of you know, my being steeped in the you know, Soto Zen tradition, you know, I was also expecting uh, you know Kensho like you know, Satori experience as the ultimate outcome of a big dose of DMT. 
and you know, most of the volunteers were expecting you know that kind of state too. You know, it's you know described in the Heart Sutra. Uh, you know, uh, a description of emptiness. Uh, you know, shunyata. You know, no form, feeling, consciousness, perception, or understanding. A you know content-free state in which one's individual uh, you know, personality disappears and you know, merges. You know, with emptiness. It's a you know, fulsome emptiness, but still is content free. Right. You know, so much to my surprise, or you know, maybe not, uh, if you you know just you know gave you know DMT with a minimal amount of coaching and of preparation, it was a you know psychedelic drug. It was mind manifesting or mind you know disclosing. It you know simply revealed things in the person's you know mind, you know, that was more or less you know, conscious um, in the first place. You know, so, you know, for example, there was a you know, nurse in this study, you know, that was extremely interested in, you know, the near-death experience, was reading books, was going to groups, and he was hoping, you know, for an NDE as a result of participating in the study. You know, so she had an NDE. Uh, you know, there was a, a, you know, software designer, you know, who experienced or, uh, you know, witnessed or apprehended, you know, the source of, you know, zeros and ones. You know, there is an urban shaman that had an urban, you know, that had a, you know, shamanic experience of, you know, death and rebirth. You know, somebody that was, you know, hoping, you know, to get, you know, pregnant or, you know, him and his wife experienced or, you know, witnessed the soul of his, you know, newborn son, you know, floating around in the ether. And, you know, lo and behold, a month or two later, um, his wife got pregnant after, you know, multiple attempts. You know, so, you know, people just had a, you know, psychedelic experience. It was completely dependent on them. You know, the content was completely dependent on them. You know, the intensity, the meaning, you know, the truthfulness, you know, that, you know, was amplified you know, through the drug, you know, but the specific characteristics of each person's individual, you know, trip, you know, was independent of the drug. Uh, it was, in de- it was, you know, fully dependent on, you know, who they were. And is that, correct me if I'm wrong, is that a move from uh, that more Buddhist meditative sense of what might be to the more um, uh, kind of prophecy model? of thinking about the DMT experience and, you know, what, how to characterize that experience? Yeah. Well, the model that I was, you know, working under was using as the, uh, you know, benchmark spiritual experience what is, you know, commonly referred to now as the mystical experience. You know, but, you know, the hallmark of the mystical experience, um, at least as it's, you know, being articulated nowadays is unitive. You know, there's a a, a you know, sense of union. You know, with all that is, you know, you know, there's a lack of differentiation. There's no object, you know, subject distinction. You know, there's no uh, distinct, you know, personality anymore. You know, so I th- I think you know, phenomenologically, uh, dispensing with any uh, you know theological overtones, you could just you know call it unitive. And the you know DMT experience, um, at least in um, everyone you know, but one of our volunteers was you know full of content with which the volunteers interacted. 
you know, so I think you could call it an interactive relational experience as opposed to unitive. You know, so I was still, or I, well, you know, keen on, you know, looking, you know, for a model which, you know, could encompass, you know, the interactive relational state within a spiritual framework. And, uh, you know, by that time I had stopped being, you know, closely affiliated with the Zen temple I had been working with for years and began, uh, you know, looking at other spiritual platforms and I'm Jewish and I, you know, kind of returned, you know, to my roots as it were, began studying the Hebrew Bible and the, you know, description of, uh, you know, prophetic experience in, you know, the text, at least, you know, phenomenologically, it was a strikingly uh, you know, similar you know, to the DMT stage. Um, there's visions and there's voices. You know, there's interaction. You know, there's you know, the maintenance or even the strengthening of one's you know, sense of self and uh, you know, personality. You know, there's there's you know, questioning. There's you know, there's answers. There's powerful emotions. All kinds of things, which were strikingly similar to the DMT effect. You know, so that, you know, led me to my, uh, you know, 2014 book, you know, DMT and, uh, you know, the soul um, of prophecy. You know, perhaps I ought to explain, you know, my definition of, you know, prophetic experience, you know, doesn't necessarily require foretelling or, you know, predicting. It's, you know, simply any spiritual experience uh, of any degree you know described in the text you know so it could be courage it could be you know poetic inspiration it could be speaking to god or to god's angels it can be out of body experiences anything at all you know independent or dependent on you know foretelling but foretelling isn't you know, necessary to the definition it's much more expansive than that okay and i see that and and it makes sense um and seems to fit better rather than that unitive model that you that you were maybe originally working with as you were getting into this research um, and that I assume also would have uh, a bearing on therapeutic value or even if it's a, a pr- appropriate to think in terms uh, as we know all these other psychedelics are are, are being seen um, as as you know, potentially miracle drugs uh, on the therapeutic front. You know, you see that with the, you know, what you've been studying and looking at? Yeah, well, the whole, uh, you know, question of, uh, you know, miracle, uh, you know, drugs is a good one, and I would like to return to it. You know, backtracking, like, you know, one step, I suppose if I had, you know, studied 5-methoxy-DMT instead of DMT itself, I may have been confirmed in my belief that certain compounds are, uh, you know, naturally or intrinsically, uh, you know, mystical or unitive in their effects, you know, because in uh, you know, most cases, a big dose of, you know, 5-methoxy-DMT is unitive, you know, the white light, you know, the, you know, the dissolution of one's, you know, sense of self. You know, so, you know, therapeutically, though, one of the uh, you know, problems in the you know white light experience is you know what do you do with it if it has no content at all it's only you know like after the fact that you start overlaying you know meaning to the experience um which i think makes it vulnerable 
you know, to, you know, suggestion, you know, even to manipulation, you know, to all kinds of, you know, crazy ideas, you know, because, you know, the white light is content-free, nonverbal. And, you know, afterwards you could say, oh, you know, that means X, Y, or Z. And it can mean any number of things. If you have content with the DMT experience, you can ask questions verbally, you can get answers verbally. You know, things are, you know, taking place that you remember and you can refer to, which I think in a way, you know, may be more helpful ultimately, you know, therapeutically than just being completely, you know, blown open and then vulnerable or, you know, susceptible, you know, to what comes after. Yeah, you know, so there is interest in using both compounds, you know, psychotherapeutically. You know, one of the, you know, problems, um, at least as I, I you know, see it, is with the huge ego-dissolving, you know, white light experience, you know, there are quite a few flashbacks you know, there was a study from the Netherlands where they studied a group, you know, that was using, you know, 5-methoxy, uh, you know, DMT. I think it was the pure compound. And, you know, these were retreatants, you know, normal volunteer retreatants um, who were either smoking it or using it intramuscularly. And, you know, those who smoked it, experienced users, you know, reported, you know, uh, you know closest you know, 70% prevalence of, you know, flashbacks. You know, most of the, you know, subjects in this study didn't, you know, mind the flashbacks. They even kind of enjoyed them. You know, but I think in a, you know, larger population and especially, you know, psychiatric patients, you know, that frequency of, you know, flashbacks, you know, may be problematic. And I get calls or emails, you know, from people, you know, normal, you know, normal people, you know, describing flashbacks after smoking, you know, 5-methoxy DMT. And uh, that it just isn't, you know, very common, you know, with DMT itself. You know, so ultimately, I think, you know, DMT may turn out to be, you know, both more useful and freer of adverse effects than, you know, 5-methoxy DMT. And you, you've you written about that as well, that, that sense of uh, the distinctions and, and their therapeutic value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I speak about it, you know, more than writing about it. Yeah, you know, but uh, I, you know, make that distinction in my new book, the Psychedelic Handbook, for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about that uh, if we can um, switch gears uh, and talk about this new uh, publication, which is quite uh, fun and serious, uh, which um, can be quite helpful and and um, appeal to a lot of people. What can you say just a bit about sort of um, some of the motivation behind, you know, wanting to get this out in 2022 or whatever, 2021? It's The timing certainly seems perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just came out last month, actually. Well, I think it's a combination of things. I you keep on, you know, thinking, you know, that I'm doing, uh, you know, my swan song. You know, but you know, so far, uh, I don't know if you can have repetitive swan, uh, you know, swan songs, you know, one after the other. You know, but that you know seems to be the case. Like, okay, you know, this is it with me and psychedelics. I'll write this, okay, and I'm, I'm you know go off you know to the bush and you know just contemplate my navel for a while. Right. But uh, I've done that with death. I keep thinking I'm done with death. I'm not going to write about it. But <laughs> you know, I, it just you can't escape. Uh, you can't. It's just some, you know, kind of karmic, uh, you know, thing. Well, 
you know, uh, you know, because our studies in you know the '90s, you know, were responsible for the American uh, you know Renaissance in human studies using psychedelics. I've always uh, you know felt a sense of responsibility, uh, you know, for how they're going, and you know, the last you know couple of years, you know, things, you know, they're getting a bit weird, <laughs> you know, you know, they're. You know, being extremely you know commercialized, they're being described as panaceas, miracle drugs. You know, there's an emphasis on the mystical experience as opposed you know to the interactive relational one. You know, there's a you know kind of you know uh, you know whitewashing the you know frequency and you know the problematic you know nature of adverse effects. You know, so I was interested in uh, you know presenting a. You know, kind of a level-headed, you know, balanced perspective um, on psychedelics. Um, I'm not a, you know, newcomer to the field. You know, been interested in these you know, compounds since I was like 19 years old, and uh, you know, been looking at them, you know, scientifically, you know, for almost as long. I you know gave a lot of DMT, you know, gave psilocybin, you know, broke open the door, you know, with the government and you know funding. Uh, you know, permits, all those kinds of things. I've been, you know, mentoring students over all this time. You know, so um, I wanted to, um, you know, present, you know, the field, you know, from a more, you know, seasoned perspective, both extolling their potential benefits, but also, you know, warning about adverse effects. So um, I think there's um, a tendency with, you know, legalization decriminalization to really increase you know the accessibility of these drugs and they're using research you know findings to you know buttress you know their claims and their proposals and um, I think there's you know collusion in a way between the research you know community to increase accessibility by extolling or you know magnifying potential benefits and at the same time, you know, minimizing potential harms. You know, so I actually spend as much time or even more time in the book, you know, discussing adverse effects than I do positive ones. You know, the largest of, you know, the chapters in the books is called, you know, How to Trip, you know, which hopefully will, uh, you know, provide guidance, you know, to optimize potential benefits and, you know, to minimize your potential risks, to, you know, work on your preparation, both long-term and short-term, you know, have, you know, safety mechanisms in place, know what to do if you get into a tight corner, and integration, which I think is extremely important, especially with with reports of, you know, people coming back, you know, from the jungle in the Amazon after, you know, drinking, you know, tons of ayahuasca in a short period of time, and then, you know, they return, you know, to North America and, you know, don't have a clue, you know, what to do with those experiences. People expecting to take a big dose of LSD and call any, you know, bumps in the road, uh, you know, challenging experience as opposed to an adverse one. You know, I'm, you know, speaking with a number of integration therapists out there um, who are, you know, frankly overwhelmed with the number of, you know, people coming to them and, you know, saying, I was expecting a mystical and theogenic experience and I've been you know, unable to sleep for weeks and I'm hearing voices and I want to kill myself, what should I do? You know, so um, I think there, you know, needs to be an appreciation of, you know, the seriousness of these, you know, these drugs. 
Um, I think, you know, one of the stealth techniques or strategies, what I'm you know, beginning to call, you know, mushroom, you know, messianism is a Trojan horse, you know, project in a way, you know, because, you know, think about, you know, substituting the word LSD for psilocybin or LSD, you know, for magic mushrooms. You know, there was a German study a few months ago, which you know, gave psilocybin to a group of normal volunteers and also gave LSD to the same group of normal volunteers. You know, subjectively, there was no difference. You know, the only difference was in, you know, duration of action. You know, so if you're, you know, thinking about, you know, you know, legalizing or, you know, decriminalizing nature or, you know, having your local pharmacist, you know, dispense, you know, psilocybin capsules, would you be quite, you know, so, you know, laissez-faire if you were discussing your, you know, pharmacist dispensing LSD over the counter, you know, for you to take home, you know, mail-order LSD, decriminalizing LSD, I think the appreciation of the you know, seriousness of what you're getting into would be uh, you know greater if it were uh, you know kind of discussed you know hand in hand with LSD as opposed to you know simply you know natural entheogens uh, you know like unlike psilocybin mushrooms right right uh, I see your point and I think it's right on because as I remember it, although, you know, I was born in 62, so memories uh, aren't, aren't great of the 60s, but the public awareness around psychedelics was really focused on LSD, for the most part, and a kind of spiritual cultural revolution as well, rather than any kind of therapy or anything like that. And so that certainly was seen uh, as a threat to the body politic in ways that um, we don't see now. Although, again, that distinction, you know, again, the, the more natural substances seem to be much more easily mainstreamed than maybe LSD will be. And that's, I, I just wanted to, to touch on a, a chapter that I thought was really interesting and one that I care about as well. Not so much on all the excitement of the experiences <laughs> of tripping, but what we're talking about, language and how we talk about psychedelics. So could you say a little bit about some of those dynamics around how, you know, what words we use? I'm, I'm a, I, I use drugs. I just, I'm doing a book on religion and drugs. Drugs include psychedelics, but they also, you know, will include coffee, alcohol, and thinking about the, the religious connections to some of uh, the various psychoactive substances in our lives. But drugs also provokes people, you know, especially when you start talking about psychedelics, you know, in, in ways that I find actually quite generative and, and revealing. But, but yeah, please. Yeah, well, you know, the language is, you know, something which, you know, people are, you know, considering, I think, and are using in you know, particular ways in order to mainstream psychedelics. You know, they're not called, uh, you know, drugs. You know, they're called medicines. They're not even called medications. They're being called medicines, right. uh, which I think is kind of, you know, precious. And uh, instead of adverse effects, they're called, you know, challenging experiences, which is, you know, kind of precious. It's instead of the drugs, you know, causing effects, you know, they occasion them, uh, which is a completely, you know, weird, you know, turn of the word. You know, so one of the things which is occurring and... You have to, you know, point, you know, to research, you know, groups, you know, which, 
are coming up with these words, these expressions, these terms, uh, especially, you know, the group at Hopkins, uh, you know, challenging experiences, occasioning, you know, drug effects. It's uh, you know, meant, you know, to mainstream, you know, to sanitize the psychedelic you know, drug effect. You know, so I think it's important to call a spade a spade. Uh, you know, back in the day, you know, psychedelics were called, you know, hallucinogens, you know, by the medical you know, community, you know, but that isn't accurate, uh, you know, because your know, perceptual effects aren't invariant, and you know what's the hallucination anyway, and it's kind of pejorative. You know, they're also called you know psychotomimetics. Um, in other words, you know, mimicking psychosis, but you know that's kind of a non-starter for most people. Um, and theogen, you know, which is, I suppose, you know, the most you know precious of you know the new terms. It assumes a lot. Um, it assumes you know theology or you know theos, God, you know, which a lot of people don't believe in. It you know proposes you know that um, a drug you know can generate divinity within you, you know, which is an assumption, and uh, you know the end part is an assumption, you know, theologically, you know, that God exists you know within you, you know, but uh, you know that's a you know theological belief. Um, it isn't a a, you know, psychological one or a medical one, you know. So, you know, psychedelic I think is the uh, the best term because it's the most generic. It's mind manifesting or mind disclosing. Um, it amplifies or makes more clear, makes more you know meaningful. You know, things which are already in your mind, you're more or less conscious. You know, like we we're you know, talking about earlier. The, you know, people's experiences are 100 percent dependent on you know, who they are. You know, the drug only uh, you know, magnifies, amplifies, you know, sheds light on things, you know, which were already there. You know, so, yeah, uh, and, you know, the question of, you know, whether even to call them drugs, I think, uh, is a little bit peculiar as well. You know, they're, you know, pharmacological agents, you know, they're chemicals, you know, first and foremost, they're chemicals. And, you know, chemicals which, you know, modify biological, you know, systems are called drugs. And in the study of you know, drugs is you know, pharmacology. And I think if we want to you know, mainstream psychedelics, we need to keep them in the mainstream. You know, because at you know, some point, there's going to be a backlash against the, of you know, kind of you know, taking you know, psychedelics um, outside um, of the medical, you know, psychological you know, communities. You know, and that's not to say that only you know, the, you know, the medical, you know, psychological you know, communities ought to be able to give, you know, psychedelics. You, you know, but I think you know there needs to be, uh, you know, clear, uh, you know, demarcations. Um, if you want to, you know, take ayahuasca in a you know, shamanic setting, you know, that isn't a you know biomedical you know, setting. It's a shamanic setting, and you can, you know, talk about spirits and spiritism, and you know, communing with alternate you know, levels of reality and uh, those kinds of things, you know, but I think, you know, to medicalize those kinds of experiences, those kinds of, uh, you know, theoretical, you know, frameworks, it's unkosher. It's, you know, kind of, you know, mixing of kinds, which I don't think, you know, serves anybody, but, you know, because then it just becomes this, uh, this kind of schmoz, you know, where you really, well, you know, like I was, you know, talking about these integration, uh, you know, therapists. You know, people are under, the, you know, the impression, you, you know, that they're about to experience and 
uh, you know, mystical state w- with you know very few problems. And it's you know the complete opposite. I think if a respectful you know uh, approach, which you know, takes into account you know the seriousness of uh, you know pharmacology, you know these are drugs working on the brain, and it's important you know to keep that in mind. Absolutely, and not just um, you know in terms of just the the science of the now and, and thinking about pharmacology, but also uh, as I think you are not explicitly alluding to, but also the history of medicine, the history of of pharmacology, especially in the modern era where we see these same patterns, miracle drugs, everyone's got to get them, you know, and then they spill over into the street and they have all kinds of meanings. Um, but then there is that sort of, oh, okay, actually, these are deadly or they're dangerous or people are abusing them. And so there's this, you know, you know, that the pendulum sort of roller coaster sort of, to mix metaphors, of, of how some of these drugs come into our consciousness, so to speak, and all the expectations that get plied into them. And the drug companies and the medical communities also very, you know, hey, man, this is changing everything. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it's it's a letdown. <laughs> yeah, it's a letdown, and even uh, you know more is it's uh, you know it can you know become a disaster if you know people are just you know casually uh, you know tripping you know their brains out, and you know they end up in emergency rooms, you know psychiatric units, you know suicides, you know jumping off of buildings, uh, yeah, you know, all kinds of things. You know, so I think you know from the get go we need to treat these with the respect that they deserve. You know, another, uh, you know, one of the stealth operations is the whole, you know, microdosing, you know, movement, you know, which is in a way, you know, the ultimate, you know, mainstreaming of psychedelics. They become, you know, super Prozacs. They, you know, or super Adderall. You know, so they're completely, you know, defanged. Uh, of you know their inherent strangeness and uh, you know potential you know to open your right. uh, your mind you know to all you know kinds um, of different uh, things. Uh, well, and there's also at some basic level of faith, like this is going to save me. This is going to make me better. This is going to turn my life around, make me more creative. I mean that I think that that's that that's another side of it that that does parallel, if not kind of. Uh, also um, express certain kinds of religious sensibilities that are tied into many of these drugs, particularly the psychoactive drugs, uh, of course. Yeah, well, you know, small doses um, of psychedelics, um, even ones, you know, which are completely, you know, free of any subjective effects, still, uh, you know, promote, you know, neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, and, uh, you know, slightly higher doses you know, which are, uh, you know, slightly psychoactive, uh, you know, do as well. You know, most of the studies out there, you know, so far with microdosing indicate that small doses are, you know, are slightly psychoactive, which I think ultimately goes toward the enhancement of the placebo response like you were talking about. If you've got, you know, faith, you know, that you'll be, you know, more creative smarter, your mood will be better, and you feel, you know, something, you know, then, you know, chances are you will experience your desired goal. You know, so, you know, the placebo response isn't a bad thing. I mean, the placebo response can be quite helpful 
it's you know biologically uh, you know based. There's immune effects of the placebo response. There's endocrinological ones, inflammatory ones, all you know kinds of you know biological correlates of you know the placebo effect. Uh, and you know you know to the extent you know that psychedelics you know could be used to enhance the, you know the placebo response if it's directed in a you know good direction you know more power uh, you know to uh, you know them um, and if you still have got you know uh, a placebo response enhancement with small doses you know then it would dispense with you know the need uh, you know for a uh, you know, big trip and your know, big trips are obviously you know more you know prone to adverse effects right and you and as I don't know if we noted but you have a chapter on microdosing as well in this in this handbook yes and also you know there's also um, a chapter in you know the book about panaceas you know placebos you know neuroplasticity it's a bit you know theoretical but still I think it provides you know some ideas that could be studied experimentally right and not so much tying into the religious dimensions well you know if you want to be a more spiritual individual uh you could take you know psychedelics for spiritual purposes either small doses medium doses or more big ones you know small doses to you know study text uh, you know medium doses you know to maybe go on a uh you know, spiritual retreat, you know, with or prayer, you know, big doses, you know, to have, you know, visions, you know, so you could, you know, turn the effects of, you know, psychedelics, you know, toward spiritual or, you know, religious goals. A Swiss study a few years ago, you know, demonstrated that, you know, psilocybin, a smallish, you know, dose improved the outcome of a, you know, Zen retreat. And, uh, you know, there was a Spanish study using ayahuasca, which improved scores on you know, mindfulness you know, questionnaires. You know, so you know there is an interest in enhancing uh, you know, meditation proficiency with smaller doses um, of psychedelics. You know, but if you want a you know full blown religious experience, you can take higher doses. You know, somebody uh, uh, you know asked me a year um, or so ago um, about how to have more spiritual experiences on uh, you know, psychedelics and i said you know you should have a more spiritual life and you know then when you trip the, you know what's in your mind and heart and you know soul you, you know, will partake uh, or you know, would be magnified will be you know clarified um, under the influence of the psychedelic right and that gets to a main point that you've been reiterating which is so much of the experience is dependent on the the individual individual character, personality, makeup, and so on. Yeah, it's, you know, the old, uh, you know, adage of, uh, you know, set and setting. Uh, you know, who you are, which, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, what's your intention, uh, especially, you know, what kind of, you know, preparation have you done? You know, but it also um, includes the setting, you know, who are you tripping with and, uh, you know, where, you know, what are their motivations, you know, to be around you? Is it a research group? Is it a you know, meditation group? Is it a you know um, is it friends outside in nature or in a you know, concert um, or a nightclub? You know, so you know the outcome is dependent on you know the set and the setting. You know, clearly the dose and the you know specific uh, you know drug. You know, but after you've you know swallowed the pill, as it were, 
you know, then it's, uh, you know, dependent on, you know, who you are and your environment. Sure. Important uh, principles to keep in mind, for sure. And I think a lot of them are really spelled out in this um, in this guidebook. So um, it is uh, really worth checking out. It's the Psychedelic Handbook and um, uh, just uh, chock full of information. I think we are uh, good for now and uh, end what has been a really fascinating and um, intriguing, stimulating conversation. It's just great to have had this time with you. And I appreciate your time. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Okay. Thanks. <laughs>